You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Paul Lazarus. In the 1980s, I produced and hosted a radio series called Anything Goes, a celebration of the American musical theater. Now the Broadway Podcast Network is bringing back these shows. This is the conclusion of a three-part tribute to Richard Rodgers, who famously collaborated both with Lorenz Hart and Oscar Hammerstein II. Rogers is perhaps best known as the composer for such shows as Oklahoma, The Sound of Music, and Carousel. This program originally aired in 1984. Back to the interview with Mr. Michaelis uh, speaking with Richard Rogers, and this time uh, moving on to the second part of Richard Rogers' career with Oscar Hammerstein and their first collaboration on Oklahoma, which was based on Green Grow the Lilacs. Green Grow the Lilacs came into the picture after By Jupiter. And at that point, the Guild thought that Larry and I would do the show for them, wanted us to. And by that time, Larry was not in condition to work. And I went to Oscar and asked him if he would be interested in doing a musical version of Green Grow the Lilacs with me. He said he would. Then I went to the Guild and said that I wanted to work with Oscar. And that was fine with them and we started writing what later turned out to be Oklahoma. Well, now, here you really had a complete departure from any work habits that you had established with Larry, because Oscar is such a meticulous and punctual kind of individual, even though he may take an awful lot of time and spend a lot of time in developing a lyric. But this must have really been a, a completely different planet for you, wasn't it? Oh, yes, the whole thing was a new experience. Almost invariably, I had to write the music first with Larry. But with Oscar, I would say 66% of the time, Oscar did the lyrics first. Still does. Well, now, you know, in connection with a song like uh, June is Bustin' Out All Over, you're supposed to have written that music between the time Dorothy took your two children to the movies and when she came home. Yes, but possibly Dorothy and the children didn't tell you how much thinking I've been doing with that title for weeks and months before that afternoon that she went to the movies with the kids. Right. An impression's created that Oscar bleeds over these things for weeks and weeks at a time, then turns the completed lyric over to me, and I dash the tune off in five minutes. Well, it just doesn't happen that way. I have to do an awful lot of thinking for an awful lot of time before I even dream of doing actual notes. I think that the moment of creation should be a spontaneous one. 
I think possibly the results are better if it comes in a rush. But you can't get that rush going without doing something about it. It isn't just there. You have to think. There is a thought process. This is not an instinctive thing like sneezing. I've never believed that a great composer had a deep emotional experience at 5 o'clock on Thursday and at 8 o'clock on Thursday wrote 64 deathless bars. <laughs> I How do you think it happened? Well, I think that this experience at 5 o'clock on Thursday goes into his personality, becomes part of him, and is eventually expressed if he has a technique, if he has a means of expression. Eventually, this finds its way out. The floor creaks, the doors squeak. There's a field mouse a nibbling on a broom. And I sit by myself like a cobweb on a shelf. By myself in a lonely room. But when there's a moon in my window and it slants down a beam across my bed, then the shadow of a tree starts a dancing on the wall and a dream starts a dancing in my head. And all the things that I wish for turn out like I want them to be. And I'm better than that smart Alec Cowhand who thinks he is better than me. And the girl that I want ain't afraid of my arms and her own soft arms keep me warm. And a long yellow hair falls across my face Just like the rain in a storm The floor creaks, the door squeaks And the mouse starts a-nibbling on the broom and the sun flicks my eyes It was all a pack of lies I'm awake in a lonely room I ain't gonna dream about her arms no more I ain't gonna leave her alone Going outside, get myself a bride Get me a woman to call my own. Jake, it really is interesting looking back when you realize the fantastic run that Oklahoma had, which established a record on Broadway, that you and Oscar had so much difficulty in getting back as far. Why do you think that was so? I think that if you look at the lineup of Oklahoma and the people connected with it, there wasn't anything very inviting about it. A tremendous record of failure. Who are you speaking about specifically? Everybody connected with the show, you'll forgive me, except me. <laughs> I had had ten very, very good years with Larry. You sure did. 
But everybody else had had ten horrible years, if they had had any. Yes. Well, take it apart. It only takes a second. The Theatre Guild had had a list of failures, and this was their last try. This doesn't come from me, this comes from them. I've mm -hmm. heard them say it, it's been in print over their names. This was the last gasp for the theatre guild. <laughs> so this is not very conducive to an investor to put his money in the show. Oscar hadn't had a hit in almost 11 years. Mamoulian, no success for a long time. I think the last one was Porgy and Bess. Mm -hmm. Which was in 36. 36, and this is now 43. Yeah. Agnes DeMille had done nothing. She was a nice little choreographer, but she had never done a Broadway show, and that was that. We had no stars. We had a nice boy by the name of Alfred Drake. Very few people had ever heard of him. Joan Roberts, nothing. Celeste Holm, very little. Twelve parts failure and one part success. That's right. So your man with the money looked at this lineup and said, these people have to fail. <laughs> Then it went even further than that. What was it about? What was then known in radio parlance as a horse opera. Mm -hmm. This is about cowboys and farmers. Nothing spicy in it. The girls had to wear very long dresses. They also went up to their necks. <laughs> you defeated yourself on both ends. Well, there was nothing awfully attractive about it. And then on top of that, Oscar and I were working together for the first time. Who knew whether this combination would work or not? They were sure in my case that it wouldn't. Why? Because I'd had all these years with Hart, and suddenly came the split. They knew that I had to fail. <laughs> well, it's theatrical, I suppose, fairly human superstition. This scared an awful lot of money away. I know one moving picture company that ran away from it for that very reason. And you can't argue people out of that attitude. Not before the fact. Not before the fact. Post facto, it's a cinch. Richard Rogers speaking with Arnold Michaelis in 1957. Richard Lewin uh, very graciously provided me with uh, a 78 recording of Mary Martin singing one of the cut songs from South Pacific, a song entitled My Girl Back Home, intended for the character of Lieutenant Cable, but I guess because he also had Younger Than Springtime, they felt that his character was firmly established and dropped this number uh, before the show uh, was reviewed on Broadway. And also, I wanted to mention that was Howard De Silva singing Lonely Room from Oklahoma, uh, a song that wasn't released on the uh, original cast LP version of Oklahoma, so it's become kind of a rarity. Here is Mary Martin with the Percy Faith Orchestra singing My Girl Back Home. God, a blue-eyed kid, he liked her a lot. They got engaged, both families were glad, and he was told by his uncle and dad that if he were clever and able, they'd make him part of a partnership. Cable, 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 and cable. How far away, Philadelphia, PA. 
Princeton in J. How far are they from coconut palms and banyan trees and coral sands and tunnies? A blue-eyed kid. He liked her a lot And he was told by his uncle and dad That if he were clever and able They'd make him part of a partnership Cable, cable, cable And song from South Pacific, My Girl Back Home, Mary Martin singing with the Percy Faith Orchestra. Here's a very rare recording of a Julie Andros uh, in a demo recording of the, from the songs of Cinderella with Richard Rogers at the piano, and here she is singing In My Own Little Corner. With a cool and confident kind of air 
You're listening to Anything Goes with Paul Lazarus. Today, part three of a tribute to Richard Rogers, focusing on his work with Oscar Hammerstein II. After Oscar Hammerstein died, Richard Rogers went on to write many shows with other lyricists, as well as writing a few uh, of his own shows, music and lyrics. This is uh, an interview with Sheldon Harnick that I conducted several years ago, in which he talked about working with Rogers on their collaboration, Rex? Well, I was uh, more nervous than I even realized because in meetings that I'd had with Dick Rogers, he couldn't have been more gracious and more cooperative. And I thought, fine, I'm comfortable with him. I didn't realize how anxious I was until I wrote my first lyric. As it worked out, he wanted me to write all the lyrics first for whatever reason. So that's the way we worked. I wrote uh, the lyric, the first one I wrote, which is one of the prettiest songs in Rex. It's the lullaby, uh, Elizabeth, to the, to the infant Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I wrote the lyric in about, I don't know, five or six days. And then I found I was afraid to give it to him. I thought, but this is Richard Rogers. This is the man who wrote all those wonderful songs with Lorenz Hart and the man who wrote all those wonderful songs with Oscar Hammerstein, who wrote songs with himself that were wonderful from no strings. So how do I, how do I, me, how do I give him this lyric? So I kept playing with it. I kept trying to revise it and make it better. And I, I hung on to it for about a month, not changing it at all. And finally I thought, well, let's see, at this rate, it's going to take us about six years to do the show. So I better give it to him. And I turned it in and uh, he studied it. He called me, his office called about a week later, and he played me this gorgeous setting. And I, I relaxed, and he relaxed, and, and we became friends. I found that his ear for a lyric was impeccable. I would bring him things, and he would say, he would point out tiny, subtle little things in a lyric that I didn't even see until he pointed them out. And then I would make the changes. Uh, in that aspect, it was an education. His humor, though, I think more than anything else, was what was so endearing. Um, if I can, oh, I, I remember one of the things that was so darling. We were auditioning, and in the role, there's the part of the, the king's, uh, kind of his troubadour, mm-hmm. Ed Ivanko played it. And Ro- we wrote a song. Rogers was looking for somebody who was a singer, with a singer's voice, a big voice. Ed Ivanko has that kind of voice, beautiful voice. But an actor came into audition named Richard Ryder. Ryder has uh, a lovely voice. He's a superb actor and he has a lovely voice. But for Rogers' taste in this particular case, he wanted somebody who was more overtly a singer. It's hard to describe. It's a subtle difference because a writer does sing beautifully but it's the voice of an actor who sings very well rather than a singer who sings with that kind of uh, big voice. Our director, Ed Sharon, had worked with Ryder before and said he's wonderful, he's perfect for the role in every way, and I loved him. And Rogers said, he may be everything you say, but I want 
a singer, a real singer for this role. And Ed Sharon kept pushing for Ryder, and I put in my two cents. And Rogers grinned. He said, look, he said, uh, I'll, he can come and sing in my home, but I want somebody else in the show. <laughs> and Ed Sharon said, ah, but Mr. Rogers, didn't you want, weren't you quoted as saying that the theater is your home? And Rogers fired back immediately. He said, no, what I said was the theater paid for my home. <laughs> it was so quick and it was so gracious, uh, I was just uh, charmed by it. Sing me a song, some lyrical strain With velvety verse and silken refrain However sweet that song may be no song can sound as sweet to me as my sweetheart's tender teasing, her tender teasing, loving laughter, loving sighs, stirring words from her I prize. There is no song more pleasing. Ira Weitzman recently interviewed both Liv Ullman and George Hearn, who took part in Richard Rogers' last show, I Remember Mama. And Ira has graciously provided me with a tape of that interview, which also features uh, George Hearn and Ms. Ullman performing one of the moments from that score. Here is that uh, live recording of the interview with Hearn, Ullman, and Ira Weitzman. When I was 14, I fell in love, I know, for the first time. And I remember, you know, what we were listening to was always Blue Moon. And I didn't know then that it was Richard Rogers, but Blue Moon became, you know, for me, falling in love and falling out of love. And when we started to do the show with Mr. Rogers, and, you know, we were talking about everything he had done, suddenly I knew that this melody that had been haunting me all my life, that was was him. And apart from that, I think most people, without maybe even knowing it, you know, has had his his melodies following them, growing up, being grown up without maybe really knowing. I did Carousel years ago in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, met a woman who I later married. And uh, when uh, we were working with Richard Rogers, rehearsing the show, I said, uh, Think of all the baritones and sopranos who have met during your shows and, and fallen in love. And uh, he paused a moment, looked at the ground, and he said, uh, it's too great a responsibility. I, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> but of course, as, as you said earlier, it's not just, not just baritones and sopranos, but people all over the world have fallen in love to his music. Something that amazes me is that Rogers was very, very active through his last show, even though he wasn't that well towards the end. I was wondering if he had any advice for you or any, any thoughts to give you about doing a musical. Was this your first? This Ms. was Ullman, my first, first? Uh, musical, and uh, you know my main reason for doing it was, of course, to be in a musical created by Richard Rogers, and uh, to see him from the first day of rehearsals till the day when the show closed was such an experience because that man never left our show. He was there. He saw 
I think almost most of the performances he came backstage. He didn't speak so much because he was very sick then and couldn't speak. But there was always encouragement, warmth. And um, I feel meeting such a professional and, uh, and being part of, of his work, to me, has been the greatest experience, I think, in my theater life. And I'm very sad that the show didn't run longer. But I know that it did enrich everybody's life who was in it because of Richard Rogers and his, his attitude. And the only uh, advice he gave me, I think, he said, you know, uh, trust yourself, I trust you. And I think that was the nicest thing he could say because obviously I am not a singer and I was terribly afraid. Something that people may not realize is that Richard Rogers, uh, together with Oscar Hammerstein, produced the original play that I remember Mama the Musical yes. that he wrote later on was based on. And uh, that comes full circle, I guess. It does. And uh, you could sense all the time that he had a special kind of love for, for this project, you know. And I think we all sensed it, the way he was sitting, watching in rehearsals. And, and later, it was a man just sitting, smiling and loving with his eyes. I don't know what he thought about the end result. I just know that he loved the thought of the project because it must have been close to his heart since he produced it once. We're going to hear a little excerpt of I Remember Mama. George, maybe you can tell us something about where this, where this appears in the show and what I Remember Mama is about for those people who may not have ever seen it. Well, it's an, uh, if anybody remembers Mama's bank account, the book, uh, it's a story of a, a Norwegian uh, immigrant family in San Francisco, uh, large five children. Do we end up, we started out with four, we ended up with five, or started out with five and ended up with six. We added several <laughs> along the way. <laughs> the family falls on hard times, the villain of the piece, which is difficult times economically. He loses a job uh, and at, at that moment in this, in the play right after a, a party scene, celebrating their anniversary. Um, the two of them go out on the porch in San Francisco and, and it'll rain sitting on the porch and sing this beautiful, uh, understated, very gentle love song of people who have been together for many years. But I think for, as a love song between a husband and wife, I think it's one of the prettiest I've ever heard. A house is not like a ship. It stands in one place and lasts. There's life in a house. Families live in houses. Children are born. Old people die. What a thing it would be to walk down a street someday and say, I built that house and that house. And that house. Still, it is bad, Martha. If I do not work for the shipyard anymore, then maybe they do not let us live here anymore. Oh, no. You think? Maybe. Oh, but this house is part of us. Dogmar was born in this house, and the children, they have grown up in this house. How would Dogmar... Always, I think, first of the children, and never of you, Lars. Forgive me. Forgive you? For what? You could not please me more. I can't imagine how. How could you please? 
Twenty years ago, I could think only of you, being a good wife to you. But now the children, I spend so much time. Well, they are sick and I must nurse them. Catherine's school dresses must be lengthened. Dagmar's hair has to be braided. Niels has a button missing from his coat. Christina wants to... George Hearn, Lee Volman, and Michael Roth at the piano, recorded by Ira Weitzman. And that concludes this informal tribute to Richard Rogers, five years to the day uh, since he died. And I hope you've enjoyed this program. I'd like to thank Billy Brown, Kevin King, and Steve Cole for providing the Book of the Month Club recordings, Ira Weitzman for his contributions, and most especially Richard Lewin for the many Richard Rogers rarities that he lent me for this broadcast. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to part three of a tribute to Richard Rogers. Associate producer Jeff London. Anything Goes Backstage with Broadway's Best is produced and hosted by Paul Lazarus. For more information, visit anythinggoespl.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and follow us. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.